What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So, what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome to the Caixin Seneca Business Brief, a joint podcast from The China Project and Caixin Global. We bring you the most critical business and finance news from China. I'm Kaiser Guo from the Seneca Podcast, part of The China Project. On this week's episode, amid the latest COVID outbreak, Chinese state drug makers are ramping up production and pharmacies have been told to give out free fever meds. In business, Smartphone maker Xiaomi is cutting 10% of its workforce, while EV maker Neo is facing blackmail by data-stealing hackers. With this and more, let's jump right in. It's quite the chaotic scene in China right now, where COVID is ripping through the country following the sudden reversal of the government's zero-COVID policy. China is likely experiencing 1 million COVID infections and 5,000 virus deaths every day according to London-based research firm Airfinity in a new study. As such, demand for drugs to treat COVID symptoms has exploded. Many cold and fever drugs have sold out on e-commerce platforms, including Meituan and JD.com. To address the surge in demand, China's state-owned enterprise regulator on December 15th directed three centrally administered companies, namely Sinopharm, China Resources Group, and China General Technology Group to guarantee drug supply. In response, Sinopharm has moved more than 160 of its subsidiaries to a 24-hour production schedule in order to expand output of key medicines to three times their normal levels, and employees at some of the retail pharmacies it operates have been working more than 20 hours a day. Meanwhile, China general technology subsidiary China Miheco has liaised with more than 200 upstream drug manufacturers to boost supply. The company also signed a deal with Pfizer to import and distribute Paxlovid on the Chinese mainland. Right now, access to the antiviral drug remains limited due to restrictions and low domestic supply. In the meantime, some brick-and-mortar pharmacies have begun providing a limited number of free fever medicines. Last week, healthcare company 111 Incorporated began selling Paxlovid on its app for 2,980 yuan, or around $426 per box. But just hours later, the pill was pulled from the app due to what the company said was overwhelming popularity. 
Luckily, infectious disease expert Wang Guiqiang said at a press conference on Tuesday that all antiviral drugs, including Paxlovid, will be gradually made available at all medical institutions at the community level. And as cases soar, China has clarified new rules on how it defines COVID deaths following a move earlier to stop counting asymptomatic infections. Patients who are considered to have died of other conditions while being infected by the virus would not be counted in the official COVID death toll, Wang Weichang said at a press conference on Tuesday. A patient would only be counted as a COVID death if they had died of pneumonia or respiratory failure caused by the virus. Cities have been swift to lift COVID restrictions following changes to the country's virus control regime and easing the quarantine policy for travelers could be next. In fact, in the southwestern city of Chengdu, some quarantine hotels have been shortening the quarantine period for inbound travelers, though no official change has been announced. Several people arriving at a Chengdu hotel from overseas said they received notice this week that they needed to quarantine for only two days and then stay at home for three days instead of the official 5 plus 3 policy, which is a five-day centralized quarantine followed by three days of home isolation. As far as we know, that's happening only in Sichuan for now. Other cities such as Beijing and Shanghai are still implementing the 5 plus 3 quarantine policy and have not announced any changes. And that's it for China's COVID-related updates. Now let's turn to business. Smartphone giant Xiaomi on Tuesday confirmed that it is letting go almost 10% of its workforce, or up to 3,500 employees. A person at the company said that almost all divisions will be affected and some business segments will be shut down. The Beijing-based company's revenue fell almost 10% in the third quarter, the third consecutive quarterly drop as it battled a slumping global smartphone market and weak consumer demand at home. Specifically, sales of mobile devices dropped by 11%, leading declines across its business divisions, including smart electronics and internet services. Amid the sales slump, the company also announced a personnel change on Thursday. Xiaomi President Wang Xiang will step down next week, and Liu Weibing, who is currently president of the China region and the international department, will take over. Meanwhile, EV maker Neo has fallen victim to Bitcoin blackmail. The New York-listed car maker on Tuesday said it received an email this month that demanded $2.25 million in Bitcoin in return for not releasing data the sender stole from NEO. An internal investigation confirmed that part of NEO's user and vehicle sales information prior to August 2021 was compromised. The carmaker is defiant, however, saying that it will not bow to cyber criminals and has reported the incident to regulators. It also pledged to take responsibility for any potential damage to customers. Data security has been a major area of concern for Chinese regulators, which have formed a raft of laws and regulations addressing data privacy and security following an investigation of ride-hailing firm Didi. And lastly, a bright spot on domestic consumer spending, the sequel to American sci-fi blockbuster Avatar, has given a shot in the arm to Chinese cinema sales as moviegoers flock to reopen theaters. Avatar, The Way of Water, 
passed more than 500 million yuan, or nearly $72 million, after seven days at the box office on the Chinese mainland, said local ticketing platform Mao Yan. More than 8 million people have sat through the three-hour screening, according to Mao Yan. While the James Cameron sequel will definitely help buoy China's pandemic-depressed box office, caveats remain. Market insiders predicted that the latest wave of COVID infections will cause some moviegoers to voluntarily avoid going to the cinema. Let's turn now to Kelsey Chung, co-producer of this show and reporter for Caixin Global. Kelsey, welcome back and great to see you. Hello, Kaiser. Thank you so much for having me. It's great to be here. So let's talk about one of the most important pillars of China's economy and how it is actually sinking deeper and deeper into the doldrums. That's right, Kaiser. Growth in China's exports has been tumbling recently and even dropped to negative territory in the last two months. In fact, in November, Chinese goods exports in dollar terms logged the largest drop since February 2020, when much of the world was caught up in the original coronavirus outbreak. To make matters worse, this figure appears to be lagging. Since late 2021, the rising prices of imported raw materials and components had led to an increase in the prices of China's export products, resulting in an apparent growth in trade value, when in fact, export container throughput of some products was already in decline. It wasn't until August that the decline in export orders was gradually reflected in the overall trade value. And how does that affect the overall economy? The latest discouraging data are quite alarming because, as you've mentioned, exports were one of China's largest growth drivers in the past two years. This bodes ill for the country's growth prospects, with analysts expecting exports to shrink at a similar pace in December and the contraction to continue well into 2023. That is indeed significant. Uh, So do we know what caused the slowdown? Yes, and as far as we can tell, the main culprit is demand. Demand has fallen off in recent months in the country's three biggest export markets, though the reasons vary by region. I see. So China's three biggest export markets are the U.S., the European Union, and ASEAN, the Association of Southeast Asian Nations. Growth in exports to the U.S. slowed in July and has remained in negative territory since August. The holiday season has been helping China's sales. Ongoing high inflation has cut into U.S. household purchasing power, with Christmas spending intentions falling from October to November, according to a poll by Gallup. At the same time, goods such as furniture have been piling up at many U.S. businesses as sales have slowed, forcing many of them to cancel orders from China. There has also been a shift in demand to services in the post-COVID era. What about demand in the EU and in ASEAN? Whereas in Europe, rocketing energy prices have spurred inflation that is keeping consumers' wallets closed, with one notable exception, that is heating gear. Threats of an energy crunch have been looming as Europe heads deeper into winter, with Russia cutting natural gas supplies to Germany and other countries. While China's exports of electric appliances to Europe fell by 9% year-on-year in dollar terms in the first seven months of the year, electric heaters and electric blankets actually surged almost 25% and 100%, respectively. Meanwhile, export growth to ASEAN, which overtook the U.S. and EU to become the largest importer of Chinese goods in September, decelerated sharply last month. The strong trade ties between the two parties haven't been enough to counter downward pressure from the global demand slump. 
For example, one major semiconductor exporter in Suzhou in Jiangsu Province was only operating at about 50% capacity from August to September. Shipping rates from China to countries like Vietnam and Thailand were actually negative, as carriers had slashed their rates to hold on to customers. I guess I've always understood that a weakening currency is usually good news for a country's exporters. So is that going to help in this case? That's right, Kaiser. That is usually the case because a weakening currency can make the products sold overseas cheaper. But as China's experience with the recently depreciating yuan shows, that's not always the case. Oh, how, how come? So far this year, the onshore spot yuan has depreciated by about 9% to around 7 per dollar, weakening to 7.32 per dollar in early November, the lowest since December 2007. So the good thing is the weaker yuan has prompted more orders for some merchants because they've decided to cut their prices denominated in U.S. dollars. But some others have said they haven't benefited much. This is because they say the biggest drawback is still the slowdown in overseas demand amid overstocked warehouses, as we've mentioned earlier. So despite a weaker yuan, their customers haven't been placing extra orders. At the same time, while the yuan has weakened against the greenback, it has remained strong against many other currencies. This means Chinese exports' competitiveness pales in comparison with other currencies that have suffered an even sharper depreciation against the dollar. All right. Thanks, Kelsey, for the great overview. You're most welcome, Kaiser. Thank you so much. And that's it for this week. Thanks for listening. The Caixin Seneca Business Brief is produced by Kaiser Guo and by Kelsey Chung, Lin Jinbing, Michael Bellart, and Zijian Wang at Caixin Global. Special thanks to Li Xin of Caixin Global. Thanks to Spring and Autumn for the music. Check out some of the other great podcasts on the Seneca Network, like the amazing China in Africa podcast and China Corner Office. And for daily news and views, make sure to subscribe to Access from The China Project. Again, thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week. Take care.